Happy New Year, listeners. I hope you had a fantastic holiday season full of cozy reading and delicious snacks. SSR is back after a little hiatus, and I'm excited to kick off our first ever Manuary with episode 29. That's right. While we typically have female guests on the show, we are welcoming dudes only for the month of January. Let's make these guys feel welcome. We're lucky enough to be starting Manuary with a pair that I can only describe as top-notch experts in all things Babysitter's Club. Tanner Greenring and Jack Shepard are better known as the Babysitter's Club Club, and they have a podcast of the same name. They are two men in their 30s, though for the record, they note that Jack is closer to his 40s to be honest, who have taken it upon themselves to read and analyze Anne M. Martin's beloved book series. They just finished the 131 books in the main series and are now moving on to the super specials. According to their own description, Tanner is the cool, handsome one that everyone loves, and Jack is the annoying one that everyone just tolerates. Follow the Babysitter's Club Club on Twitter at BSCC Podcast or on Facebook by searching the name of the show. And since I already know that you're grabbing your phone so you can look for their podcast to listen to yourself, I'll just go ahead and tell you that you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. When I reached out to Tanner and Jack about appearing on SSR, they were quick to suggest book number four in the Babysitter's Club Super Special series extension, which is entitled Babysitter's Island Adventure. The reasoning behind their selection becomes abundantly clear pretty early on in this hilarious episode, but suffice it to say that two of the babysitters make the very bizarre decision to bring a group of young charges on an ill-fated sailing expedition, then find themselves shipwrecked somewhere in Connecticut. The girls on the island must test their survival skills, relationships are challenged among the whole group, and it seems that the entire country is tuning in for news about what the media calls the Connecticut disaster. We break all of this down in episode 29, of course, but we also discuss so much about the BSC as a whole. Jack and Tanner reveal the babysitter who they claim is objectively the worst, share their definitive ranking of Ann M. Martin's best books, and explain why the Babysitter's Club holds up better long-term than Sweet Valley High. I also inadvertently cause a fight between these co-hosts. Oops, I am so excited to be starting off the year with this fun and funny episode. As you'll soon hear, I had trouble keeping my laughter on the DL through much of this recording. You may also hear a few funky things with the audio, since this was the first time I've ever recorded with two guests. But on second thought, you'll probably be lolling so much yourself that you don't even notice. One exciting housekeeping note before we dive into the episode. As you already know if you follow SSR on social media, we launched our Patreon page last week. Patreon is a platform that allows superfans of the work produced by independent creators to show a little extra love to those creators by becoming patrons of theirs. In this case, I'm the independent creator. If you love SSR and want to see it continue to flourish and improve, you might consider committing a few dollars each month through Patreon. There are four tiers, $1, $5, $10, and $20 per month, and perks associated with each one. I'm offering rewards like SSR bookmarks, free shipping on merch when the shop launches in a few weeks, bonus episodes, book club chats, input on book selections, tote bags, and more. If you want to learn more, check out www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or go to the SSR website at www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. Thank you so much to everyone who has already joined the Patreon community. It means a lot to me and it makes it that much easier for the podcast to thrive. Okay, friends, it's time to kick off Manuary and New Year for SSR. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. 
If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasek, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Tanner. Hi, Jack. Welcome to SSR. Hello. Sorry, that's not my regular voice. I don't know why I said that like that. Is that just your special SSR voice? Yeah. This is Tanner. This is my normal talking voice. I'm sorry I came in so weird at the at the top. Coming in this hot, Tanner. Jack, and I don't feel like I need to clarify that this is my normal talking voice. Thank you for having us on. It's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listeners, your ears do not deceive you. For the first time ever, we have two guests on the show, and we have men on the show for the first time, too. You two are real trailblazers. You're the first guests of 2019. You're our first guests of our first ever manuary. You're also the very first guests to be on revisiting a series that we've touched on before. So, It's just a lot of new stuff going on. I personally am extremely excited about all of it. We're definitely going to be the best men that you've ever had on your show. So I'm excited about that. I'm just thrilled that someone's finally saying I'm a man. You know, (laughs) I've been called boy most of my life, even though I'm 34 (laughs) years old. Not only are you a man, but you are headlining something called Manuary. So it's really a big deal. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this book. I take issue with the fact that this is the second time you've done a Babysitter's Club book, though, because this is a Babysitter's Club super special. That's an excellent point. Thank you for the clarification. And you two are the Babysitter's Club club, so you would know better than anyone that that's an important clarification to make. These books are twice as long. They take a lot longer to get through. About the same level of interesting as a normal Babysitter's Club book, but just like takes twice as many pages to to do it in. Would you say that's accurate, Jack? Except when they get stranded on an island. Yeah, no, this one's pretty compelling. This yeah. is a classic. So this, we over at the Babysitter's Club Club have read over 131 Babysitter's Club books, which means that we've finished and discussed every single Babysitter's Club book in the main canon. Um, and now we're into the wonderful world of the super specials. Uh, I think this one is... Along with a book called Stacy and the Bad Girls, where Stacy McGill um, does wine crimes mm-hmm. uh, with a number of crime girls, <laughs> uh, this book I think is everybody's number one favorite out of the entire series. So right. it, it is exciting and pulls out all the stops. Yeah, I mean, for context, so just so you know, because I don't know that you even know this, the first Babysitter's book that we covered was Christie's Great Idea, like the original. Book number one, we covered that in episode seven of the podcast with Jess Goodman as our guest. And honestly, it was wildly different than Babysitter's Island Adventure. Tanner, you were talking about how they're all kind of the same level of interesting. And I have to push back on you here because in Christie's Great Idea, it was basically them like hanging out in their bedrooms and like fighting about pizza and candy. And, And this is just ridiculous. Yeah, no, these super special books get a little wet and wild at times. Like, they're pretty – it's just like these girls get thrown into such, like, far-fetched circumstances each week. This is the the fourth one we've we've read so far, and it's like the first two were pretty tame. It's like they go on a cruise to Disney World, and they go to summer camp, and then the last one is, like, essentially The Shining. It's called Babysitter's Winter Vacation, and they get, like – trapped in like a haunted lodge in the mountains this one they get castaway yeah they get stuck on an island it's no these ones the super specials get a little buck wild at times 
this one, Anne is asking us to take a leap of imagination that Claudia and Dawn, to, for, for people unfamiliar with the series, two babysitters in the club, mm. uh, are suddenly expert sailors. Yeah. <laughs> With great fashion, though. Remember, Claudia is more of an expert in sailing fashion, at least up front. Yeah. While Dawn seems to have a greater handle on the athletic portion, she's like carb loading the night before she goes out and right. doing fitness videos in preparation for the race. Claudia is a little bit more interested in like the hoop earrings and that sort of thing. Right. It gets into trouble. Claudia, I can tell you what Claudia was wearing the first time that they go out on a sailboat race. Please do. A tank top mm. with baggy drawstring pants. Over the top, she was wearing a button-down shirt of her father's. The sleeves were rolled up, but none of the buttons were buttoned. She was also wearing big earrings that she had made herself. <laughs> um, so she looks great, but then, like, the, the shirt ended up acting as a second sail, and, like, the hoop earrings get caught in the ropes. Uh, and she still ties with Dawn in the sailboat race. It is never—I can confirm that it is never mentioned again in the entire series— that these girls have are like avid sailors. Yeah, uh, and there's no reason they should be, right? They're yeah, just like, <laughs> they're just two 13-year-old girls in like suburban Connecticut. There's absolutely no reason they should be good sailors. Well, they are taking lessons, to be fair. They seem very into the lessons. My favorite part about their sailing instructors, who seem extremely underqualified, was the fact <laughs> that the sailing instructors, I guess, just tell them like, sure, you can go out without an adult. But there's no mention of the fact that, like, yeah, but maybe you shouldn't bring a four-year-old with you. Like, you can go without me, but, like, if you're going to go bring a grown-up. Like, these instructors are just kind of, like, letting them go free without any conditions or suggestions. They pass – so their their sailboat race they have to open the book with this climactic, like, fast and furious sailboat race. Right. Um, And really kind of sets the stakes pretty high to start. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of the race, they do such a good job despite Claudia's – wardrobe problems that the instructors say, all right, you guys are free to sail without us, but always bring someone. And so they're like, okay, cool. We're each going to bring like three, four year olds. It sounds like you're giving us permission to endanger the lives of four year olds. (laughs) Wait, so just confirming three, four year olds does not one responsible adult make? No, it makes one 12 year old. Yeah, yeah, true. Which is the same as as yeah. Don and Claudia, who also that's, probably should not be given the reins yeah. to go free on the Long Island Sound. That's one year older than Jesse Ramsey, another babysitter who is uh, as a subplot left alone to look after her younger sister for the entire weekend while her parents go vacationing. Well, and she yeah. doesn't need to because she sends her. Okay. She, she, <laughs> drives her young sister to an abandoned island so that she doesn't have to look after her. And then she gets in a fight with her mean aunt who's accusing her of being the one to allow her sister to go, which really, I mean, she kind of did. She kind of fucked it up. Yeah. Well, the the Ramsey parents are really to blame here. We can't, we can't put the blame on the children. The children handled themselves well this week. <laughs> like, those two girls kept themselves and those, what, four babies? It was Don's younger brother, Jeff, who was conveniently visiting from California. Right. Jesse's little sister, Becca. Right. Haley, who seems to just be along for the ride because she likes to sail. And then Jamie, who's the four-year-old, who right. seems to be suffering from a really dreadful disease. Yeah, it turns yeah. out that he is he has strep throat throughout <laughs> the entire adventure. Yeah, his mom is like, Jamie, are you sure your walking pneumonia is clearing up <laughs> enough for you to go on this sailboat expedition with these two 12-year-olds into a storm? <laughs> yeah, she's like, well, as long as you wear a windbreaker, you should be. 
<laughs> it's just so ridiculous the more that I talk about it. It's so silly. So to set it up again, you said so they have this race. There seems to be no clear winner. Don and Claudia decide that the only way to remedy this is to have a new race, obviously, a rematch. And there are all these people crowded around getting ready to watch the rematch. And the thing that I don't really understand is where do all of those people go after the rematch begins that they have no idea that something has happened to this little fleet of boats once the storm happens. Like, it doesn't seem to me that the island they're going for is so far away that the entire crowd would have dispersed. Like, are any of them hanging around to wait for them to come back? Isn't that kind of the point of a race? I've read a lot of these books. And, like, there was surely... Stony Brook is a weird... So Stony Brook, Connecticut is the town that this these books take place in. And it's kind of this weird fictional universe where there is always something happening. So like, I'm sure they all had to rush off to like watch a bunch of babies do a parade down main street or like decorate Stony Brook middle school for a dance or something like that. Like I'm sure there was some happening going on that they all had to like rush off and take care of. Like the third little miss Stony Brook pageant of the week is happening that day. And they all have to leave. These are all the same people. This is a very good point you bring up. These are the same people who are like standing around concernedly when this becomes a national news story called the Connecticut disaster. They're the same people standing around being like, I'm so worried about those girls. And it's like, you were sitting there watching a sailboat race that was supposed to end at six. And then at like 6.15, you're all like, oh, well, I guess, I guess these teens never made it back, but it is dinner time. I do have the, the Stony Brook Summer Festival to get to, so <laughs> I should probably yeah. leave. Well, everybody has their priorities. People have places to be, and I we have to respect that. But I do feel like somebody should have been waiting for them to get back because who was going to call the finish, if nothing else? That's true. I think if anyone was going to sit and wait for these girls to come back to dock, it would be the Pike father, John mm-hmm. Pike. Mallory's dad, right? Mallory's dad. He seems to he seems to be pretty invested in finding these girls later in the book when they do go missing. And we can't talk about John Pike without mentioning something that you may not have picked up through his words, mm. which is that he is incredibly handsome. Oh, just devastatingly handsome. Is that like stated He's, explicitly in another book that I haven't gotten to no. recently? So and, in and the, never raises it. In the main canon, at the end of the books, um, there are often these little sections called the the, the Babysitters Club scrapbooks, where that where they've had their art director Hodges Swallow sketch up these like portraits of the Babysitters Club girls and their families. Um, and Jack and I once discovered a portrait of John Pike at the end of one of those books. And he is just like, I encourage you and your listeners to go Google John Pike Babysitters Club maybe and just take a look at this dude because he is just – Yeah, go. He's but the best Make man. sure you're, you're at home, in the comfort of your home. Get like a nice – a glass of wine. Put on yeah. some soft jazz. Maybe music. draw a bath. Wow, lights yeah. and candles, maybe? Yeah, and then look at, don't just look at it like while you're on the subway or something, because that could be dangerous. He is incredibly good looking. Wow, right. maybe I'll look him up and see if I can find a picture and we'll put it in the show notes, because it feels like everybody, this is not an option. Like, if you're listening right yeah. now, maybe you should even turn turn off the episode and check yeah. that out. Come back. We'll still be here. Yeah, take some so, time, meditate on his photo, and just come back. <laughs> well, and he's like a boat guy, right? Like, he seems to be really into boats. He's always, he's like, oh, this my family can go out on a bunch of boats and we'll look for the girls. 
Yeah, apparently yeah, he owns a boat, which is news to us as well. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of like new mythology in these super specials that never gets covered in the in the regular old Babysitters Club books. Well, and these came after. Like this was a later addition to the series, right? So what I was confused They're about. They're contemporaneous. Oh, they are. Yeah, okay. they kind of they're interspersed throughout the the regular series. We were just too lazy to read them as we were reading the regular series and waited until we were done. Got it. Because in yeah. my mind, because they're quote unquote super specials that were written later, I sort of assumed like, oh, maybe they're in high school now. And then again, given the setup, the fact that they're now going out on boats with small children, I thought maybe they're fifteen, sixteen at this point. And then I realized relatively quickly that no, they're still in middle school. Yeah, and they're children. So Anne, we call her Anne, but her full name is Anne Anne M. Martin. Martin. She made a choice, controversial choice Mm. uh, for us. After book 10, Logan likes Marianne to stop the girls from aging. Oh, I did not know this. She says this in a reader's note in book 10. So from books one, from Christie's Great Idea until Logan likes Marianne, the girls are experiencing time in the same way that you or I might. Okay. Right. But from book 10 until book 131, right up until she sets them free from this, like, terrible, like, frozen in time state, uh, right up until the Friends Forever series, they are just repeating. I'm not sure quite how the time system works in in Anne's universe, but they're repeating. It's not like the same day over and over, but you'll notice that, like, they went to the Halloween dance and then, like, they're going to the same Halloween Halloween dance dance. but having different experiences. Mm. Right. They experience seasons. And they experience the passage of time like one book will be in winter and the next one will be in spring. And then, you know, like the time seems to be progressing, but they never age. They're always 13 year old girls in the eighth grade at Stony Brook Middle School. Having once been a 13 year old girl who was in eighth grade, (laughs) I don't know why in the hell she would choose this to be the time that they cannot escape. It's so unfair. Yeah, it's unbelievably cruel. The worst kind of Groundhog's Day. Okay, so we started talking about a few of the storylines, but I think we there's just like a lot going on in this book, as we mentioned. So like, let's dig into a few of the specific babysitters and what's going on with them. Clearly, sure. Claudia and Don are kind of like the main players here. Let's go with Don first, because I haven't read about Don in a long time. Christy's great idea. She was not in that book because she hadn't moved from California yet, right? Like that's she came a bit later. Yeah, she doesn't come until, like, book three or four. Yeah, she's a West Coast girl. Yeah, and then she goes back to the West Coast around book 80 or so. Which is confusing because, okay, so I guess you said this is contemporaneous, so she's still in Stony Brook now, but she's going to go back. Okay, it's it's a little confusing, a little dicey for me. So Dawn's sort of big twist before she gets shipwrecked on an island, as if you needed another twist, is that she gets into a big fight with Marianne before she goes. Marianne is her BFF, but also her stepsister, because their single parents recently got married. Every Mm -hmm. teenage Uh girl's dream, or so we think. (laughs) They get in a huge fight, because while Dawn was compulsively working out prior to the sailing race, as one does, she forgot to convey a message to Marianne from her boyfriend that Logan, her boyfriend, oops, we have a problem, couldn't meet her to study because some ridiculously small, it was not even, I just remember that he called and was like, Don, I have a problem. And it really did not seem to be that big of an issue. Don forgot to tell Marianne that, and it caused a major fight between Marianne and Logan. Nobody's talking to each other. 
including Don and Marianne. Yeah, conflict, especially Don and Marianne. Yeah, mm. conflict seems to be one of Anne's little conflicts like this that are kind of based on very minor misunderstandings seem to be one of Anne's kind of go-to sources of tension in these books. Jack, I think you have like a, a taxonomy for Babysitters Club books, and one of them is is kind of like focused yeah. around these conflicts. There are a few different types of books. I call that that a book centered around that conflict. I call civil war mm. narrative, right? Okay. Um, which is just like some, a book like Marianne Saves the Day is a great example of that. Like some tiny thing where it's like Marianne called Christy like a little bit overbearing. Mm. And it like the next thing, you know, the entire town of Stony Brook is like on fire and people are rioting in the streets. Um, well, how dare Marianne she doesn't... really? I mean, how dare she do oh, that? Yeah. 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 I also kind of wonder if this yeah. coincides with a main canon event, which is very briefly for about five or six books, Marianne and Logan break up in the main canon. And it may have been right around this time. Like Marianne gets a little like fed up with all of Logan's little impoliteness, like all the little things that he does that's impolite. So I kind of wonder if this book sort of like is is foreshadowing that breakup. Yeah, and Marianne and Dawn are also, like when they make the transition from best friends to sisters is very difficult for them. We oh, get really? about like t- 10 books out of that. Yeah. Um, they're just, they just, it just doesn't work. But as, as you can tell from this book, the last thing that Marianne says to Dawn before she goes on the sailing adventure and is stranded on an island for three days and what comes to be known as the Connecticut disaster that is national news. Mm. The last thing Marianne says to Dawn is, I hope to never see you again. <laughs> I think we all just Strong. need to pause. Like, let's just pause and take that in for a minute. I hope I never yeah. see you again. Yeah, um, which leads me to believe that maybe Marianne sort of caused this to happen in some way. Probably. You think she, she willed this? That she willed this into existence. And then she spends the rest of the book feeling incredibly guilty. Yeah, and Not I, so guilty that she can't go out and help search, though. It takes yeah. a while, though. Like, for her first coping mechanism is just kind of to think about it for a while and then to go babysit because babysitting will obviously take her mind off of anything bad that's going on, right? I mean, that's the solution to everything is babysitting or sitting, as Marianne typically calls it. The, whole, the entire economy of Stony Brook, Connecticut is kind of built around babysitting. So it's it's what all of them do to kind of self, self-suit. There is, there is more babysitting in the town of Stony Brook, like per capita, than I think in any non-fictional universe. Like there's way more babysitting than there could possibly be babies or people who are going out for date nights. Or it's just like, it is a town that is built on babysitting. And when they're not babysitting, they're having like a baby parade. Baby or, carnival. Or some other, yeah, exactly. Baby basketball tournament. Like it's just, it's never ending. It's the, it's the baby capital yeah. of America. Yeah. And the babysitting and therefore by extension, the babysitting capital of America. And this book is a good example. Like, even when they go on a sailboat race, like, they have to, like, they don't just, like, a normal person going on a sailboat race would just get in a sailboat. But they're like, we got to babysit while we're doing it. Yeah. Like, it only makes sense, obviously, as we get on these boats and, like, sail to an island for us to be babysitting. They can't do anything without small children attached to them. Exactly. I don't know whether they're just extremely conscientious and considerate and just, like, kid lovers. Like, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I was not a babysitter, nor have I ever been somebody that is, like, especially drawn to small children. So it's hard for me to understand. But I imagine there are some people out there that just, like, enjoy having small people requiring their constant attention, even when they themselves are preteens. 
Yeah, and might be like a host parasite. We've got a lot of theories on our own show about what's happening here. It might be a host parasite kind of thing. We have a pretty complex theory that we've yet to disprove that these girls might be bees and that this is actually the story of a beehive. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I just need some additional information. Well, it, here's where it kind of falls apart is I don't know a lot about bees, mm. but I'm under <laughs> the impression that there are there is a caste within bee societies that just cares for young bees. So that's pretty much what the entire theory is built off of, essentially. Bees and bee-adjacent kind of imagery come up over and over again in the text of these novels. Well, and listeners, refer to the Babysitter's Club Club for more details, I'm sure. But it would kind of help explain why these girls constantly need to be looking after sort of the pupa of this society of Stony Brook, Connecticut. The pupa. I appreciate the use of the word pupa. That's another first for the SSR podcast. (laughs) Leave it to the men. Yeah. (laughs) So as you alluded to, they kind of leave on this really bad note, Dawn and Marianne. Dawn goes off on her sailing trip, ends up getting shipwrecked. And as she is on this mysterious island, she says to Claudia, Oh, Claude, I don't know. I mean, we don't know how far out we are or if we can see the shore from here. And since we've walked partway around the island, we don't know which direction the shore is in. Whoever goes out in that boat could easily get lost at sea. So there's that's the dramatic setup. And then here's the reflection. I was nearly in tears. All I could really think about were the last words Marianne had spoken to me. I wish I never had to see you again. I wish you would get out of my life forever. Well, maybe I would. Yeah, like that, Marianne. Your sister's going to die. It I seems suspicious terrible. to me. At the beginning of this book, there is a map that uh-huh. shows where this island that they get stranded on is in relation to the coast of Connecticut. It's right at the start. And it seems suspicious to me that Dawn is so adamant that they wouldn't be able to see the coast from this island that they're stranded on. And also, like, her, like there was a lot of deflection in that statement you just read. It kind of seems like Dawn wants to stay lost, you know? Yeah. Like, she has no interest in finding her way back to the mainland. Maybe she's just happy to have Jeff there. Jeff usually lives in California. She and her brother are finally reunited and, like, building fires and doing cool shit together like maybe this is what she wants or maybe she wants to perpetuate this drama with Marianne I like your theory about Jeff because Jeff is very self-sufficient in this book like the second they get stranded on this island Jeff is like at the fishing hole like catching them sea bass to eat for dinner well and Claudia turns into like fucking bear gorillas on the island is like suddenly just can do anything she's like figures out how to catch rainwater in a tent yeah uh, she's like squeezing out elephant dung for the nutrients (laughs) and water inside (laughs) uh yeah i would have thought that so dawn is known in these books as being california casual that's her (laughs) and dawn kind of has a meltdown she's essentially useless on the island she just kind of sits in a tent and like jamie gets like some like horrible disease and is on the on death's Mm. And Don just sits next to him while Claudia is out fashioning a shelter out of tree branches and, and like, making friends with the animals on the island and, and eventually, like, discovers a mirror. Manifesting which, mirrors. Flag down a passing plane. <laughs> that works. Yeah, and Don is just, like, cradling Jamie and hoping for the best. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Dawn kind of reflects to her mom at the end and is like, Mom, I just kind of realized that I'm not as calm, cool, and collected as everybody seems to think I am. As if it's this, like, major assault to her personhood. Like, I have no idea who I am anymore because I kind of wasn't super chill on a deserted island. Like, it's fine, Dawn. Most people wouldn't be. This is a piece of the puzzle. As she thought. I think this book is a piece of the puzzle that Tanner and I missed because Dawn... Because we didn't read it at, at the, in the time that we should have mm-hmm. in terms of the chronology. Um, and Dawn throughout the series takes this turn as a character um, where she like starts off like her thing is that she's cool and California casual. And by the end, her thing is that she's like an insufferable vegan. And I'm allowed to say that because I am an insufferable vegan. Yes. Um, and she's just like she's all she does is like preach to everyone about the environment and like tell people how to live their lives and is, is still referred to as being California casual, but isn't. And maybe the seeds of that, I think, are planted in this book. Maybe something happened to her on this island. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dawn never came off of this island. Dawn that we know died on that island. The California casual Dawn died on that island. And the one that they brought back was something else. Island Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> Non-casual island Dawn. Well, do you think Tom Hanks was the same Tom Hanks that he was at the end of Castaway? No. No, that's a- he had like a beard, right? Oh, he had a beard. He, he had a beard yeah. and a volleyball as he his, lost best his best friend. <laughs> He's a much different man before and after. Yeah. So let's talk about Claudia. We kind of discussed okay. her evolution. The big thing that we need to note up front is that Claudia starts off a little depressed because she's gotten a bad report card. Womp womp. Uh-uh. She's not as smart as her older sister, Janine. And Janinius. Janinius. We hear about Janine constantly and how smart she is. Claudia's thing is that she's artsy and fashionable, and she could never be as smart as her older sister, which our friend Anne highlights in the diary entries in this particular book with ridiculous misspellings that Oh, it's insufferable uh, reading. Claudia's handwriting is so it's such a pain. It takes me like as long as it takes to read the entire chapter to try to get through one of Claudia's little missives in the book and her handwriting and misspellings. Can I admit something? Please. I Don't tell those. me you skipped them, Tanner. Tanner! <laughs> I, I skip all the handwritten parts. Because they for, always for immediately no. cover them right away. No. Like, you read the handwritten parts, and then it's like, as you just read in that handwritten part, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, then why did I read? Why did I suffer through trying to read this handwritten note on like an iPhone screen? Like you read that. Now I just go, skip them. For our next episode, Tanner, you go back I and read all of the ones you skipped. You missed so much. I like because you can't even copy them for your notes. So I, I will dutifully like take screenshots of the parts that I think are important so I can include them in my notes so that I'm representing the, the what Anne wants us to talk about. I just got done saying how bad, like how difficult Claudia's notes are to read. Like, why would I want to read? I do it because it's my job. Jack, is Tanner Tanner out of the club now? Like, I kind of feel like I'm witnessing something a little bit awkward and and also potentially devastating for the Babysitter's Club Club. Yeah, I was going to wait to bring this up until later, but I've actually got an opening spot for a co-host of the Babysitter's Club Club. So if you're not busy and you enjoyed reading this book and you can commit to reading all of it... Mm. Skipping entire sections of these books is nothing new for the <laughs> ring character in this podcast. Tanner skips the chapter two. So the, I don't know if you they didn't really they don't really do it so much in the super specials, but there's something that we call the chapter twos. The chapter two of every book, they like painstakingly explain the entire history of the Babysitters Club. So I have read the history of the Babysitters Club 131 plus times. 
um, and it never never gets old. This is why you know so much, though. You know so much because of that repetition. Yeah, no, Jack's the scholar of the podcast, and I'm kind of like the cool bad boy. Oh, of course, of course. Well, everybody needs a cool bad guy as part of their duo. So Claudia, her handwriting is atrocious. She spells a lot of easy words wrong. It's just kind of a bummer to read her entries. But what she's really needing is like a confidence boost, you know? Everybody else is rooting for her to win the rematch when she and Dawn go out sailing because even though they love Dawn and Claudia both so much... Claudia needs this right now. She could use a win. Claudia has some ups and downs in these books. Like she's she's one of our favorite characters. She's very cool. She's very like collected. She's very mature. But like she does constantly struggle with her like ego around her intelligence. And like in the main series, it gets her in trouble quite a bit. And like she even gets held back at one point. So it was nice to see Claudia get a win for once. But I think she's got a lot, a lot to offer the world aside from like being a smart person. Claudia's the, I think she's the best, and it took me a long time to come around to that. I, I think almost every babysitter except Stacy has been my favorite babysitter at some point. Right. But by the end, reading to the end of the series, I think I'm, I'm a Claudia guy now, um, and she's. I don't care that she can't spell. There's so much more to her than that. Her outfits are incredible. Her art is incredible. Her insights into the world and the way the world works is incredible. And what Anne does to her, what Anne puts her through, nobody should have to go through that. In the middle of the series. Anne takes Claudia and puts her, holds her back to the seventh grade in a novel called Claudia, Queen of the Seventh Grade. And then for like three books, Claudia is in the seventh grade and like can lunch with the babysitters and acquires this entire crew of like seventh graders. Oh, but she makes then, the most of it. She makes all these new friends. She has two she new boyfriends, two boyfriends in the seventh grade. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot of boyfriends. Yeah. It's inspirational, yeah, well, really. One's like a cool aloof dude and the other's like this big nerd who's got who's got a heart of gold mm-hmm. yeah uh but then then the school like after like three months of they're like okay claudia you're smart again now we're putting back in the eighth grade so yeah claudia is great and i think, I think one thing we can agree on is that stacy's the worst um yeah but claudia is just excellent and she's she's so impressive in this book she really saves the day yeah, if it weren't for Claudia, they would have died on that island. There's no question about it. If it wasn't for the deus ex machina of finding a mirror in the jungle, they would yeah. have died. Tanner, I'm looking at this map that they show, and they're looking – the search parties with, the, like, helicopters and, like, like the president sends out the National Guard. And, like, Delta the entire Force world – it's like with the Chilean miners or something. Like, the entire world is, like, fixated on this thing. And, like, they, they're looking for these girls for three days. There are one, two, three, four, five islands. Yeah. Like They, they just needed to look – like two islands east of where they were. <laughs> it's they in were. the island sound. Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, the coast of Connecticut is really not that big. <laughs> no. I believe it's, it's one of the smaller states out there, actually. And I've and I've been to uh, to the coast of Connecticut. I have some I have some friends from the area, and, and I'm just am not convinced that there's islands that are quite as rugged as we're meant to believe based on the descriptions in this book. It's unrealistic that they would have been there because they they do this race on a Saturday night. I think it's unrealistic that there was not a group of partying teens who, like, found their way out to that island to, like, drink and canoodle that Saturday night, you know? Like, I kind of feel like that's what happens on all those little Connecticut islands. Well, I'm just glad that we didn't 
sort of like stumble into the territory of there being coconuts and wild animals. Like there was one moment when one of the kids was like, we could just drink coconut milk. And I was like, Anne, please. Anne, <laughs> don't. I literally was like, Anne, turn around. <laughs> like, abort, abort, Anne, stop. Go back to base. So that, at least we didn't do that in Connecticut. I feel like Anne kept things straight geographically for the most part. But you're right. There's no reason that this couldn't have either A, been all avoided by some partying teens making friends with the girls the first night they were there, or the full Coast Guard is out looking for them. I feel like the Coast Guard is better than this. We just don't, like, this is a fictional universe, right? Like, Study for Connecticut's not a real place. Maybe they don't have a Coast Guard in whatever universe this is. Maybe there's yeah, something like, in the water, you know? Maybe there's something like, that they're all afraid of. Oh, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Like yeah, there's something lurking in the depths. Yeah. Yeah, or some kind of like a force field that keeps the Coast Guard from like actually being able to see what's going on in the water. That could work too. Oh, yeah, like the Lost Island. Right. Like the island from Lost. Maybe it's the Bermuda Triangle actually. Like maybe they found their way to islands that aren't, we're not really sure that they're real. Yeah, they, they do mention in the epilogue of this book that they try to make their way back and they can never find the island again. Yeah. They start it's also the, the only time in the entire series that it is mentioned that Stony Brook is like along a coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely wasn't picturing it as a beach town, Christie's great idea. It kind of just seemed like a landlocked suburb to me. The only thing that they ever give us to place Stony Brook on a map is that it is 40 miles away from Stamford, Connecticut. That's Helpful. all we know about where Stony Brook is. And, like, very little of 40 miles away from Stamford, Connecticut, exists on the Connecticut coast. Yeah, things just aren't quite lining up here, Anne. If you're listening, just just know that Oh, we, she listens. Well, she listens she to you. I don't know there. that she's found me yet. Hopefully she'll come over here after she sees that you're making a special appearance, and, and she and I can be on first name terms as well, but time will tell. And One thing the scholastic lawyers are definitely yeah. tracking you very carefully now. Anne, Anne is always watching. Yeah. Oh. So careful what you say. We've made the mistake of trying to cross her in the past. She's listening. She's amending these texts based on kind of like what we discover and what we say here. So just be very careful. You're very influential that way with Anne. Yeah. Yeah. Tanner and I saw her once. We're like the probably among a small number of people in the world who would recognize Anne and Martin. Right. Like she, and like we both we got out of the elevator at our office to go for lunch and Anne was standing there and we both were like we both totally chickened out. We both stood there. I was like, is that? Oh my god. And we just like stood there frozen to this spot and watched her like turn around and get into the elevator it was our one chance just, like, our very breath. like walked by yeah. in a very wooden way like we're normal people i <laughs> don't know who you are i feel like she's like very shiny in real life like very beautiful and shiny and sparkly she seems like she's a truly wonderful person uh, yeah. like she loves animals um i don't stalk her facebook page i promise you but yeah she seems she seems lovely but also like fairly shy so we haven't tried to bother her well, she's a Marianne, Except, isn't she? Doesn't she describe herself as a Marianne? Yeah, but the thing is, everyone kind yeah. of describes themselves as a Marianne. So what about you? What do you describe yourself as? Um, I would say I'm probably a Christy. I don't know if that's cool. Sometimes she's kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, Christy's my favorite. Christy's the best. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I don't know. I'm a Dawn. You're a Dawn? Okay, why, yeah. why do you say that? Cool, California casual. Right. <laughs> Naturally. Jack is yeah. kind of um, maybe a Mallory. Yeah, no. 
Yes. I like to say yeah. Jack. <laughs> I don't know much about Mallory. They're what are these alternate officers? They just kind of like come in when needed. So, so are you an you're you're not alternate officer Mallory? No, Mallory's Mal- main canon. She's one of the the main babysitters, but she's younger she's, than the rest. Got it. She's the one who was prophesied. She was the sat who became a sitter. Um, oh. and, she, and she was the one who was foretold. Like in the first book, she's one of their charges. Student becomes um, and you can teacher. tell that there's something about her, and she's a student who becomes a teacher, and then she brings Jesse along, um, and she's an associate member, so she doesn't have any official role. Uh, they, they can only babysit in the afternoons, which in some ways is a benefit because like they take all the afternoon jobs. And then the alternate officer is a, a mantle. The chief alternate officer is a mantle that is passed from Dawn to Abby. Oh, yeah, I don't know Dawn, Abby. Like, maybe, Abby's maybe. a late canon babysitter. She comes in at book ninety. And she takes over for Dawn when Dawn moves back to California. The alternate officer in the Babysitter's Club, it sounds like the most menial and worst job, but it's actually, if you think about it, it's the most powerful job. The alternate officer has all of the powers of all of the officers, Hmm. but she never necessarily deploys them. But if anyone's sick, the alternate officer steps in to take that role. Maybe this is why Dawn is so good at sailing. It's because Claudia is good at sailing and she needed to know Claudia's skills as alternate officer, right? There you go. That's true. Mm-hmm. That tracks for sure. Okay. Um, so now we yeah. know why they're both so good at sailing. So Jack, are you yeah. proud to be a Mallory? Like, are you owning that? Honestly, this is the first I've heard of it. Oh, okay. I like, I've, I was just thinking know. like, who's the dorkiest character and like who... Who kind of gets Here's the, the, the less, the least respect of all the babysitters, and I thought, oh, Mallory, and Jack's definitely Mallory. You know, I, I've, I've spent so much time with these books that, like, over time, I've, I've thought of myself, I've identified myself as different ones. I read these as a kid, so as a kid, I thought of myself as a Marianne because okay. I was bookish and shy. Rereading them, I don't really identify with Marianne because she's. I don't, I'm just not a, I'm not a huge fan at the moment. Mm. I'd never considered Mallory, but hearing Tanner say it, and I think you meant it as an insult, Tanner. Yes. But it feels, it doesn't feel totally wrong. I think um, you're, you're like a, a Christy with Mallory rising because you're, you're yeah. confident, you're a leader, you're outspoken, right you're outgoing. But also kind of a dork, a bookish dork. <laughs> I'm an overbearing dork. Yeah. So it's really Christy plus Mallory. I'll take that. Thank you. That's a good combo. Well, as a Christy, I I feel like we need to touch briefly on her storyline here because, again, it's absurd. And I was reading a blog post like on a book blog somewhere, and and the person had reread this book recently, as I had. And she basically was like, there is this whole storyline with Bart and the softball team that they threw in just so that Christy could have some drama. Like, Christy just needs to have something going on and Anne maybe didn't plan for that very well in the boating adventure and so hence Bart hence the softball drama yeah it's weird that they felt the need to bring any other babysitters into this narrative seeing that it's so like hyper focused on Claudia and Dom stuck on this island but there is this weird sort of like b-plot with Christy having a fight with Bart we honestly we call him Bart Bashir in the in our show because his name of the baseball team is Bart Bashers, but I can't remember what his real name is now. Taylor. Bart Taylor. See the scholar of the podcast coming in with the facts. <laughs> uh, it's weird so- that she has this conflict with Bart Bashir because it's totally meaningless. <laughs> 
but most yeah. B plots in Babysitters Club books are totally meaningless. So later in a in a novel called Curtie um, plus Bart equals huh? Oh. Right. Yeah, it's a question mark. Got it. Christy plus Bart equals question mark. Bart tries to do kissing mm. with Christy, right. and then that's the actual end of, of it. Christy's like, I'm just not into She's not boys. interested in doing kissing with Bart. Yeah, that's the culmination. That's what this is all leading up to. We've got like 50 books before that. Like, they finally work that out. Well, because it could have ended here. Basically, what happens is Christy is coaching a softball team. The softball team, because again, she she can't possibly do anything without small children. The softball team, the Crushers, I believe they're called. They're extremely with upset a K. with a K because alliteration is always cool. Mm-hmm. It's all about Christy as the coach. And the Crushers are extremely frustrated because they have not had a victory over Bart's team, the Bashers. And so Christy's like starting the book with this attitude about how she really has to bring home a win for her team. And then when the Connecticut disaster happens and all of this coverage is going on, she obviously feels like she has some responsibility to take part in the search team because she does. They are her friends. And as you mentioned, the entire town is looking for them except Christy at this point. And she realizes that the next search party going on is happening at the same time as her softball practice. What are we going to do? It's a tough situation. As she says, it's not that simple. I think that's the well, direct quote. It's just, it's not that simple. And Bart is such a shithead about it. The worst. She like calls Bart and she's like, I need to cancel the game. Like two of my players are gone, Haley and Jamie. And like the rest of us are so concerned with like finding these missing children who might be dead. Jamie is literally afraid know. of people throwing balls at him. I'm not sure he's like anchoring the team in an important way. Yeah, but there's a moral, there's a morale issue, right? Like if yeah. two of the two, if two of the ba- of the crushers are dead on an island somewhere, like that's really going to hurt your chances at a victory against the Bashers. So it's she's not like, Braddock, but okay, yeah. I, I need to cancel the game, and Bart's like, uh, uh, I don't believe you. Essentially, he's like, I think you're faking it because you're afraid to play us. So what is something Christy would do? Do you think that is something Christy would do or something she would not do? I mean, she seems like pretty, pretty ballsy to me. I love Christy. She's my favorite babysitter. All she wants is to win. Mm. This came up in the last super special. There were like, we can't go over that entire book because it's also crazy, but there are like multiple bus crashes in the snow, a lot of injuries. Okay. And the whole time Christy is like, look, there's competition. Like a yeah, they're doing all these winter competition, and like that's the only thing that matters. So she ha- she has a tendency to get carried away. To the rest of the babysitters that. are like, we're gonna go save some children from this bus crash, and she's like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I heard the form tomorrow. The races tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, she's capable of that. Okay, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. So, but she and Bart now get in a fight. So she's having a fight with her pseudo boyfriend just as Marianne and Logan are having a fight but then this kind of weird thing happens where Bart seems to apologize like once he realizes that the Connecticut disaster is a real thing he comes back apologizes but then he's like also I have to talk to you about something and Christy's like oh no is he gonna dump me and he's like I don't know if you know this but you kind of exaggerate (laughs) yeah I did not understand his decision to bring that up at that moment it was weird. It was, it was weird. But he's just like a dumb boy, right? Like he's a 13-year-old boy. Like he has no sense of like decorum at all. Generally, the male characters in this book like make a pretty weak showing. We have Logan and Bart who just suck. And well, and like Stacy's dad, Stacey's which is dad. like the C plot. 
Yeah. Like oh, Stacy's in New York and her dad refuses to let her go back to Connecticut to search for her dying friends. Right. And he wants to go to the theater because he has tickets. Yeah. I don't want to defend Ed because I'm not a fan of his. Like he's a very difficult character. Ed McGill. But you mean? Ed McGill. Yeah. Right. Sorry, we're on first name basis. But he has Broadway tickets that it took him like months to get. And Stacy's like Oh, my friends are in a boat race. And at this point, they've only been missing for like an hour. I don't know, man. Jack, He's got like Hamilton tickets. I think just, about it. I think his approach was a little wrong. Like, I think he could have listened to her and been like, could you tell me a little bit more? What else can I do to help? Like, how about we go to the show and then I'll get you a ride back to Stony Brook after? Like, that would have been a reasonable compromise. If I got someone Hamilton tickets and they were like at the literal last minute as I'm getting dressed, like, uh, I don't know if I could make it. I might want to go home. I would be fucking furious. If someone invited me to see Hamilton, Jack, and I knew that you were potentially – you were lost and potentially dying somewhere, I would go to Hamilton, but I would be distraught the entire time and totally distracted. You know? It's like, why did I even bother coming? I would go. But why did he even bother going? I'm so distracted about my friend potentially being dead. You really ruined the performance for me, Jack. I'm going to have to try to get in the lottery again and get new tickets when I'm less distracted. (laughs) Thank you. And when Jack's back from his shipwreck. I would charge him on Venmo for the tickets. <laughs> you ruined my performance. But yeah, so Stacy and her dad get in a fight. This is right after the divorce. Things are, are tough. Uh, Stacy feels very caught in the middle. And Ed and Maureen are kind of in a phase right after the divorce where they're both like using Stacy kind of to get at each other. So I, I hate to defend Stacy, but she, you know, she feels understandably trapped in the middle of something that's not her fault. So why the animosity towards Stacy? I'm just I'm just wondering. She's the worst. So I've I've only read, to be fair, two Babysitters Club books in the last few months. It's been many years since I read the rest. I'd love to hear a little bit more about why Stacy is unanimously the worst babysitter. Stacy has two things. Yeah, she's from New York, right? And she has diabetes, and and that's it. You don't need to ask her because she'll tell you. Yeah. If you're in a room, hey, Jack, if you're in a room with the Babysitter's Club and you want to figure out uh, which one is from New York and which one has diabetes, uh, how do you find out? Uh, Don't. Don't Don't worry. worry, Stacey Stacey will tell you. you. (laughs) Good. We got there. That was very good. You guys know your stuff. You're really... You're really in tune with each other and with all of the babysitters. <laughs> she's just uh, she's she's a very boring character to us. But it might just be, and this is something we've been called up for in the past. It might just be because we are two thirty-something-year-old men. Apparently, a lot of people really identified with her and liked her as young girls reading these books. So it might just be it, that might be all there is to it. Is like as two middle-aged men, it's hard to. Connect with I don't this think thing. I don't think that here's the thing here's here's a counterpoint I, I don't think that Stacy of all these girls including Claudia Stacy is the least committed to our precious club she's yeah. most likely to just be like oh I got a new boyfriend I don't have time for it and she's also a climate change denier we've really stacked up a wall of evidence against Stacey <laughs> over the course of 131 books yeah at some point just to, to give you some clarification on that at some point she like holds up a snowball and is like oh see it's snowing like and people say global warming is happening so now now how does that a lot of shitty things how do you like her now she's probably a Trump supporter another <laughs> Things, part of the birther movement. Ugh. 
yeah, I don't know where I land on Stacy, but I will say, like, she is best friends with Claudia, who you say is your favorite. So there's got to be, like, some good qualities about her. She dresses great. She dresses it's nice. It's more understated than Claudia. Like, it's more elegant. Like, the difference, I would say, is that Stacy like, goes to, like, Bloomingdale's and, like, like is really good at finding sales. Oh, and, no, like, this is Claudia good. Like, I want to hear, Jack, I want to hear more places. <laughs> I want to hear more stores you think is cool, or you think of as cool places. <laughs> like, Filene's Basement. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Sears. Three more. And Hecht's. She goes to Hecht's. <laughs> I don't uh, even know what that is. You know, like, all the, all the cool stores uh, where you can find, like, sale, like, dresses. I'm going to name clothes now. And, like, <laughs> uh, and, like skirts. Sure. Uh, plackets. Turtlenecks. Uh, um, but Claudia, on the other hand, like, makes her own clothes out of, like, dung or something. Like, she, like, she just, like, <laughs> materials around her and sews them into these, like, insane carnival-esque Outfits, like um, a true so bear. Both have, yeah, exactly. She's like DIY girl. Yeah, yes. Just like its own kind of trendy. But I, I see what you're saying. Stacy has to take the easy way out. She just like goes and buys things. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Claudia makes her own earrings. And then they get caught on ropes and yeah. then require rematches. It sounds actually really dangerous. It ripped her yeah. ear clean off. Yeah, she actually made out pretty well if the fact that there was sort of like a weird mix-up with the boat was the worst thing that happened to her. Yeah. Yeah, they lose both boats. Oh, One yeah. boat sinks, and the citizens of Stony Brook, like, they do this, like, Dunkirk-esque mission where they send out, like, John Pike and all of the people in their, like, amateur sailboats to try to rescue these girls because there's apparently no fucking Coast Guard in all of Connecticut. Nope. And, then, and like, that ends when they, like, find the shattered remains of Don's boat. And then the other boat they made it to the island, but they, despite being, like, expert sailors, they, like, dock it uh, at low tide and it just it just like floats out to sea away, which is right. another like horrible surprise is that it's like the Stony Brook is like well good news we found the boat they're really expensive so we're glad to have it back but bad news <laughs> is there's no one in it and somebody's like was there any signs of a struggle <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like pretty dark actually like they just find these two empty boats uh, yeah, there was a sign of a struggle. The life raft was missing. We think it was a real Captain Phillips situation. Some pirates definitely got this boat. Gotta go to the baby parade. <laughs> yeah. No time to investigate. We have a baby parade to get to. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, listeners. Don't worry, because the castaways are saved. Because of the mirror that Claudia found, they're rescued, they're brought home. Jamie, who, like, it kind of seemed like maybe he had the plague, the way they were talking about his symptoms, but luckily he got to a doctor. Seems like he's going to be fine. And everybody's learned something. And isn't that what the Babysitter's Club is all about? That is certainly what the Babysitter's Club is all about. And they also, like, they try to they try to just go home, and the doctors are like, no, you guys have been swimming in the Long Island Sound. Like, you're all going to the hospital for weeks. Eating toxic fish. Yeah. <laughs> you're coming with us. Yeah, we got to check you out first. Everybody learned something. Christy learned that she, she can exaggerate sometimes. Because Claudia her learned, boyfriend mansplained like, it to her. Her boyfriend was like, FYI, you kind of exaggerate. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, Dawn learned that she's not as cool as she thinks she is. That's sure. an important and kind of bleak message. Uh, I don't know what Stacy learned. Stacy didn't learn anything. She doesn't grow as a character. She never has. And that's yeah. Stacy's problem, right? <laughs> that's her problem. I don't want to criticize this 13-year-old. Girl. You know what Stacy learned? She has diabetes what? and she's from New York. Yeah. Yeah. If you asked her what she learned, that's what she'd tell you. 
Oh, I was raised in New York City. All right, Stacey, thank you. We know. Well, and she got to go see Hamilton, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a great experience. So, like, yeah. good. I'm glad you got to see it while it's still on Broadway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably original cast. Very exciting. <laughs> Claudia learns that she's kind of street smart, even if she's not book smart. She's, she's island video. smart. Island smart. Yeah. Boat smart. Yeah, that's what, Not so much, but of island Claudia smart. Claudia in the seventh grade, they should, like, put her on an island. That's where she would like really grow and thrive yeah she'll excel there yeah Mallory learns that her father is as resourceful as he is sexy no surprises there Jesse learns yeah. that her aunt is a mean lady is there it, any other babysitters yeah. no I think that's I think that's all that we were dealing with in this book Marianne learns that you you get what you wish for oh true Marianne we, we forgot Marianne sorry Marianne so usually at the end of every episode I ask my guests because often they're like coming back to a book for the first time after 20 years I, I always ask did reading this book again ruin the book for you or make you love it all the more and and you're well versed in these books so I don't think that's the right question here Maybe the right question is, did talking about this book, again, Babysitter's Club, super special number four, Babysitter's Island Adventure, did talking about it give you a new appreciation for it, or does it make you kind of like bump it further down your list of favorite Babysitter's Club novels? I thought it was great. I think it's it's up there in my favorite Babysitter's Club novels, and I totally understand where everyone is coming from when they cite this as their favorite super special. It's just like, it was totally gripping, you know? Like, just a very fun romp on an island. Mm-hmm. It's Anne's masterpiece. You think it's Anne's masterpiece? I'm trying to think of Anne, Anne Penn's novels. Because Anne stops writing after 35. Mm-hmm. And she did Anne, sorry, did Anne write Infinite Jest or was that someone else? That was, oh, Anne, okay. After Infinite Jest, I would say number one. And then... Old Man in the Sea, right? And her third, then this one, super right. special for Babysitter's Island Adventure, um, Anne's greatest novel. I will say to answer your first question in a slightly different way. I so I read these books growing up, okay, and like as a, as a young boy, and I I liked them a lot. But it is it is funny and in some ways unpleasant to revisit them and like identify with the grown-ups like they're good hold up they're like i i also read the sweet valley high books Mm -hmm. which like are don't think that they are as good they're not as like the characters aren't as wonderful and like they they don't like help each other out um these books like stand up as being there's something special about the relationship between these girls that holds up but it is weird to look back at them from the point of view of a grown-up and be like and be like oh i'm this oldest christie's dad and like you shouldn't have let these girls go sailing by themselves. It's <laughs> so it's really just like a mind fuck more than anything else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also, Anne insanely chose to trap these girls in time and never let them out and make them repeat their thirteenth year over and over again, like some insane god. Yeah, I'm gonna say that 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 remains the most upsetting part of all of this for me. The fact that I've learned that they were stuck in time in middle school for so long. I'm I'm sort of glad I didn't know that before. But yeah. now that I do, yeah. I just I feel sorry for them. No wonder they could be assholes sometimes. We go back and calculate it. I think they probably before she lets them out in the Friends Forever series, they probably experience like twenty or thirty years of middle school. They're frozen in time in nineteen eighty seven and they're released from time in nineteen ninety nine. So oh. it's like a couple books came out a year for a while. So who's oh. to say? Hell on earth really. Hell on earth. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on SSR. This was so fun. Listeners, if you heard me like laughing and trying to muffle my laughter a lot, 
I'm sorry, but I had a lot of fun talking with you both. I'm going to link to your podcast, The Babysitter's Club Club, in the show notes so that listeners can check it out. I have a feeling that they will. If you're a fan of SSR, I have no doubt that you will love BSCC. And Tanner and Jack, thank you so much for your time and for talking about this Super Series number 4 book with me. Thank you for having us. It was very exciting. I just resisted very hard slipping back into that weird creep voice I did at the very start. <laughs> I think I managed it. You did. You did it. I mean, you can if you want to, but you did a great job not thank doing you that. For having <laughs> us. <laughs> nice. Finishing strong. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.